the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. How would you like Jesus to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? Well, that was the case of Bartimaeus. As Jesus was leaving Jericho, he was crying out. Jesus heard them, and and Jesus said, bring him to me. And when they brought him to Jesus, Jesus says this, and this is in Mark chapter 10, verse 51. What do you want to do me to do for you? It sounds a lot like Elijah and Elisha when Elijah was about to be taken up into heaven. And that is exactly what Elijah said. What do you want me to do for you? So this is Bert Harper and Alex McFarland, and it's good to be with you today. Alex, again, uh, Jesus on his route to Jerusalem goes through Jericho, but before he leaves, he, he heals Bartimaeus. Amen. Well, verse 51 and 52 of Mark chapter 10 are very special. Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. You know, you and I have talked a lot about how Mark is a book with a lot of action. And, you know, what would you have me to do? That's a, a, a verb, an action word. Heal me. Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Go your way. You know what's interesting is after we meet the Lord and after the Lord changes our life, we're to keep on living our life, but we live it in a brand new direction, don't we? we really and do. we yep. follow Jesus from that point forward. We do. And Jesus, again, leaves Jericho purposely on the road to... To, to Jerusalem, he goes up three thousand. I think it's three thousand four hundred and forty feet. He's below sea level at the DS, uh, at the Dead Sea, and Jerusalem's way up. And this fourteen, fifteen, sixteen mile trek was going up, up, up. Very Alex, steep. have you ever made that trek over there when you were in Jerusalem from Jericho to Jerusalem? We did, and you know that's one of the things that's very surprising. I guess I had in my mind that it was very flat, desert-like, but it's very, very hilly, isn't it? It really is, and I, I just couldn't, and going over the mount, and you see Jerusalem before you, oh, my it's word, a, yeah. one of the most beautiful sights uh, in all the world, and so Jesus makes this trek, and then you come to chapter 11, and this is where he goes to Bethany and the Mount of Olives, and then he gets the colt ready or they have the cult ready, and Jesus identifies it, and the triumphant entry takes place. What yes. a great day. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, Alex, yes. blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sounds like that would be a pretty good song, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. And, of course, you know, we just celebrated Easter, and I know Christendom the world over uh, was in church yesterday celebrating the resurrection. I hope everybody listening experienced a very special Easter as you reflect on the, this reality that no other belief system can claim that our Savior rose from the dead. Jesus conquered death, but let's go back a little bit. You know, in verse 10, the people are crying out, Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, and Jesus entered Jerusalem. So, I mean, just, you know, eight days ago was Palm Sunday. We celebrated Palm Sunday. And you and I talked about last week as we got uh, into what, what is called Holy Week, right? That Jesus would go to the cross. But because of where we are in the Gospel of Mark, a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, repetition here. So we're going over it again. And these shouts of Hosanna would soon turn to cries of crucify him, wouldn't it, Bert? Very it, sadly. It is amazing. Now, whether it's the exact same crowd, we don't know. I do know this. The, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin were most of them. I'm not going to say there weren't individuals, but as a group, they were not part of this triumphant entry crowd praising him when you get to the crucify him crowd, you will note 
that they mixed in with that group that was there and encouraged them to say, crucify him, crucify him. And to say it's the same crowd, Alex, I, I you know, I've heard that, and I started looking at that, and I said, is it the same crowd? I believe there's some of them that is the same crowd, but the difference is that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, those scribes, they're not a part of this Hosanna crowd. You catch, right, you right. think I'm right on that, or do you uh, I do. I mean, there, there may have been some, some overlap, but, you know, the Bible essentially says if they smite the shepherd, the sheep would scatter. And I think there are people that are full-out disciples willing to go all the way to the cross with him, like John or Mary, right? Uh, then there were those that in fear had to scatter. But then, like uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, the, the remnant would bravely come out and show themselves, and many would die, you know, just as Christ would die for the sins of the world, many of the disciples would die for their belief in the Messiah, wouldn't they? They really would. And and so here you have this, but notice Bethany. You just, what a place that is, Bethany. House the, of suffering. It is. And that's where Jesus would go to after his days in Jerusalem. Many of them was confrontational. Some of them were difficult. Here, that was triumphant entry. He would go back to Bethany. He would go back to Bethany. What what a house that is, the house that Jesus would go to, Mary and Martha, more than likely, and Lazarus, because Lazarus has been raised from the dead. He, he goes to their house. Yes. Isn't that, isn't that the something that that's the house that Jesus would come to for rest and, and retreat? I, I just, that's that's pretty good preaching if you want to know to. Does God come to, to is he at home in your house? You know, Did is you he at home see- in our life? This little gospel booklet, Bert, and and based on the artwork, I think it might have been from the 50s, but it said, uh, if Jesus came to your house. Do you remember that I little do. I do track? remember that, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, here's the, the Son of God, God the Son, two natures, fully divine, fully human, but not fallen human, and he could find welcome in, in the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. And may it be, and I'm not trying to spiritualize here, but that Jesus would find welcome and peace and uh, absolute reception in our house, in in our heart. Alex, let Uh, me just interrupt. That is not spiritualizing, brother. That is true. He needs to be at home, and he needs to be at home in our lives. He does. Go ahead. Well, and and our heart be his sanctuary. Because, you know, the, the Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know? And let's let's remember, and this again is absolutely unique to the Christian faith, that God doesn't dwell in a building made with hands, but we are his building. <laughs> he made us, he redeemed us, he purchased us with his life and his own blood, and then he indwells us. That that our our body, our mind, our heart, our soul is the dwelling place of the living God. Isn't that wonderful? It is. And those of us who've experienced this, I I just want to tell you, we have the comforter in us. Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I did. Now, how can that happen? Because Jesus could only be beside his disciples. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he is inside his disciples. We have Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, the hope of glory. And so here we find the next day, verse 12, when they had come out of, from Bethany, he was hungry, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came, it was nothing there but leaves, but for it was not the season of figs. In response, hmm. Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now for a moment, Let's skip verses 15 and 19 and come back to it, Alex. Is that okay? Okay. So All that right. way, we now he goes away, and we'll come back. Now, in the morning, as after he had cleansed the temple, after he had said that, he passed by and saw that the fig tree had dried from the roots. Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Jesus mm. answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Then verses 23 and 24. Alex, again, this is... I hadn't thought about this. There's only two times that Jesus seemed to, he did use his miraculous power for, I would say, destruction. 
One was the swine, you know, that were yeah. demon, and they ran off into the cliff, you know, in the water. And then this one. All the others is healing, restoration. Uh, the Looking in the Old Testament, does the fig tree represent a group of people anywhere? Well, it does. I mean, just universally, the fig tree has represented Israel. Yeah. And uh, let me say, this is not anti-Semitic or anything like that. Lord knows, born-again Christians love the Jewish people. We really do. And uh, Bert, you and I, let me just say this. Um, When you and I go to the conventions like NRB, very often the Israeli, uh, the Knesset, and the Tourism Bureau will have breakfast with us. And there'll be a you know a couple of hundred people there, and I, I remember I've heard members of the Knesset speak, and they would say, "Look, we get it. American evangelicals are the best friend that Israel has ever had," and that's true. However, uh, it, it's clear the fig tree represents Israel, and they were to receive their Messiah, and they didn't. And in Mark ten, you know, Mark eleven twenty and twenty one. When it talks about the fig tree being cursed, um, Bert, I'm just going to say this, and as one, my my love for Jewish people and my love for the nation of Israel is beyond description. However, the 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 last eighteen nineteen hundred years of um, dispersion, persecution, um, the the record of history, it is directly an outgrowth of the fact that the Messiah came. And not all, but most missed it. They missed it. That's what John said. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. And so there is, there's a price to pay. Let me say this, for an individual, a group of people, a nation, to reject Christ. And and I I just want to share with you, there's a price to pay. And here represented that it was dried, no fruit. They should have had fruit. Israel should have had fruit. He gave them the Ten Commandments so that they would have the moral standard as a society, not to be saved, but how to rule their lives and to demonstrate who God was. He gave them a land right in the middle of three continents so that people would have to pass through and see and hear the testimony of God's people, and they failed. We dare not fail as the church of God. We keep on preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and we say, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Come and let him save your soul today. We'll be back with more of Exploring the Word right after this. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Governor Daniel McKee of Rhode Island. He is the state's 76th governor, as well as the former lieutenant governor. Titus 2.7 reminds us of the importance of character and setting a good example. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, We ask for guidance for Governor Daniel McKee as he leads the people of Rhode Island each day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. The Bible teaches that following Christ involves dying to self. But Dr. Tony Evans says many of us don't understand what that really means. He'll give us a clearer picture today as we spend two minutes with Tony. It is because even Christians do not fully understand the cross that we still live for ourselves. Jesus Christ died that he might take us in a whole new direction. But you can only do that if you decide to die. You see, to die is to give up your right for Christ's right. He becomes paramount in your life, or as John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. In other words, I am giving Christ the freedom to live out his life through me. These hands become his hands. These feet become his feet. This mind becomes his mind. In other words, 
I make myself available for him to do his thing in me, his life in me. I sacrifice my will to his will. So it is Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, my everyday walking and talking and moving and thinking, the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, this is a faith walk now because I don't know where Christ is going to lead me. But I have entrusted myself, and this is the faith part, that he knows where he's going. He wants me to be the vehicle for him to get there. And I'm going to trust him to take me where I ought to be. Learn how to build your life on a bedrock of full-out commitment to Jesus. Check out Tony's CD series, Pursuing Christ, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 American Family Radio Now, back to the Bible study you're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. It's about the cross It's about my sin It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again Welcome back to Exploring the Word, a brand new week of Exploring the Word. We are in Mark chapter 11 in the New Testament Gospel of Mark. Bert Harper and Alex McFarland, we're going to resume Mark 11. I do want to remind everybody that coming up just a week from this Friday is Truth for a New Generation in Paris, Tennessee. And folks, uh, it's going to be amazing. Listen, um, this is so important that I, I really want you to come. The theme is Truth Matters, Confronting the Issues that Will Shape Our Future. Bert will be there in person. I'll be there. Abe Hamilton, Will and Mickey Addison, Carl Kirby from uh, Reasons for Hope, teaching the kids about evolution versus creation. Then um, from Love Worth Finding Ministries, the staff of Love Worth Finding, Adrian Rogers Ministry. And uh, I just want to take a minute, folks. Please pray, even if you can't come. But if you happen to be in central Tennessee, it's just about equal distance from Memphis or Nashville. Uh, we're going to be in Paris, Tennessee, at Tennessee Valley Community Church. The website, it just is my website, alexmcfarland.com. Uh, this is, the youth groups need to be at this. It's for all ages, but uh, please come April 21 through 23 to Truth for a New Generation. And uh, Bert, we've got to be equipped to stand strong for truth, and that's what the aim of these conferences are. really is. I was looking over the schedule today. And uh, I was wanted to make sure I knew exactly where I was, and <laughs> I was looking over the whole list. And you don't want to miss it. It will equip you. And part of the pastor's job is to equip the saints. Now, yeah. well, again, if, if this goes further than that, this is Alex and working with the church there in Paris and uh, those that he's invited to come in to equip the saints to be ready to give an answer of the faith that is in them. And truth does matter. We stand on truth. So I, I encourage people to come, old and young. I'll go reverse yes. order in place of young and old. But anyway, I would love to meet you. I'll be there. Jan will be there. And uh, you can see who has to put up with me. And that's a pretty ah. good task. <laughs> hey, Bert, I wanted to throw something out there before we uh, go too far. Uh, in Mark eleven twenty and 21, okay, they passed by the fig tree, and Jesus had cursed the fig tree. And you, you are very astute to point out this is like one of the only times that the Lord used his supernatural power for something destructive, right? Um, there, there are words like Ichabod, you know, in the in the Old Testament, the glory has departed, reprobate, which means that people have gone so far into sin they can no longer tell right from wrong. Uh, a word that is pretty severe, but, you know, we might not think it's all that severe, is the word backslidden, right? Right. Um, or, or apostate, a New Testament word. It's almost like the New Testament church equivalent of the Old Testament word Ichabod, for Israel, but apostate. And Bert, let me just say, there are some Protestant churches that have gone so far liberal and so far woke that they are apostate. But the word there, curse, that Jesus 
cursed the fig tree, and they come by the next day, and it had dried up. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said, Master, look, behold the fig tree which you cursed. Well, the word cursed, there is the word imprecate. Now, you might have heard of the imprecatory prayers. Right. And just as in the old, um, in the ancient world, they would pronounce a blessing. You know, may, may God bless you. May God prosper you. Well, this is like the opposite of that, to call the power of God to thwart you, to hinder you because of sin and rejection. And these are, you know, kind of words you probably don't hear every day, but like in there are the imprecatory psalms that, you know, God cursing his enemies. And so for Jesus to imprecate the fig tree, uh, and by extension, to pronounce basically a, a death knell over Israel because they missed their Messiah. This is one of the most significant and, frankly, sad moments in world history. Do, do you? I agree find? with you, and it is there, this destruction. Now, what happens in the middle of it, I think, is important. Now, I wanted to stay with that, but what happens in the middle of it, I think, explains some of that. Just let me now that you've heard that, the cursing and why, but look at 15 through uh, 19. I'm going to read this, Alex, and we'll make comments. So they came to Jerusalem. This is Jesus with his disciples after being in Bethany, and then they come and they see the fig tree, and they go to the temple. Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who brought, bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves, need to underline doves, uh, that's so important, he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? Now that's important. But you have made it a den of thieves, from Jeremiah seven eleven. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now, Alex, two things real quick, and I'll throw it back to you. One of these, the money changers, they they made money on changing the coins. The temple had their own coins. And so if right. you brought the Roman or whatever coins you had, they would change it to, if you had to buy doves or any other animal, you had to do it. And the doves were the ones that were for the least, uh, the, the those that were poorest, those that had had very little money. Remember that Mary and Joseph brought the doves for her sanctification. The other thing I want to share is you, and I, it happens in, the, it's called the court of the Gentiles. This is where the money changers, the tables were. This was the missional point of the temple. The rest of it was, again, to demonstrate the holiness of God, the forgiveness of God. That did that. But the court of the Gentiles was when those that were foreigners would come in, they could stand there, they could hear, and they could see some of the things that were taking place. It was the missional part of the temple, Alex. Mm. And that's the reason he said for all nations— that temple, yes, it was a Jewish temple, but guess what? It was not just built for the Jews. It was built for the world, a court of all nations, and that's where they chose to make their money at the expense of the rest of the world. Do you see why Jesus would say, you're cursed because you have no fruit? You've given up the opportunity to have fruit even in your worship. Alex? This, I think this is an important message, not just for that day, but I think it's important for our day. If we cease to be missional and we hurt those that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, I think there's an accountability coming. Well, you know, uh, Isaiah, written about 750 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah says that the, the light to the Gentiles is the Redeemer of Israel. Okay, that's in Isaiah 49. But in Isaiah 56, 7, yes. it says that my house will be a house of prayer for all people. Now, what's interesting was, like in Matthew 21, 13, Jesus quotes that 
for himself, my house. So Christ is ascribing ownership of the temple to himself. And he quotes, because, you know, very frequently he quoted Isaiah, you know, about himself. But he said, my house will be a house of prayer for all people. So, Bert, you're absolutely right that, you know, it was this invitation to all people and all nations, but they were prostituting it and making it like Jesus said in the cleansing of the temple, a den of thieves, selling, uh, you know, deformed animals for sacrifice that were supposed to be perfect and those things. Now, later on in Mark 11, um, they come to Jesus. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, verse 27, 28, they said to him, by what authority do you do these things? You know, just who do you think you are? And Jesus says, uh, they say, who gave you the authority to do all this? Jesus said, okay, uh, I'm going to ask you a question, and you answer me and tell me by what authority I do these things. And if you answer my question to you, I'll answer your question to me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned within themselves. And, and Bert, you can almost hear the, the gears grinding. Yes. Whispering. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But if we say of men, we fear the people because they count John to be a prophet. And they said, well, we cannot tell. Jesus said, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> I'm telling you, Mark eleven thirty three. Uh, the, the Lord Jesus, yes, the loving Lord Jesus, the, the tender shepherd, he was not to be trifled with, was he, Bert? He was not. Now, let's go back. You, we, are, we promoted truth matters in the beginning of this segment. Now, here, truth does not matter with this question. Truth. They're not yep. wanting truth. They're wanting what they want to hear to trick him. Jesus does not. He overcomes that he overpowers that alex and here it is he this is what they do this is what crooked let me just say anyone in society those that are crooked that owns businesses those that are crooked that are in government those that are crooked in their thinking in in religion you're just talking about apostates they're not looking for truth they're looking for some way to validate themselves and what they think and what they do. I don't think anything demonstrates that more than this conversation. If they, if we say this, if we say this, not what is the truth, how can we, how, how, how do we know what John is? They're not interested in the John authority. They're not interested in Jesus authority. They're just wanting to have him and put him away. So Alex, uh, truth does matter, brother. Do you, you know, Bert, I've uh, had the privilege of interviewing a number of atheists. I mean, the, the atheists that have written the books. And it's very, very often that I've sat down with professed atheists and they say, and I say professed atheists because they, deep down, they know there's a God. I mean, most atheists talk about God more than a preacher. Uh, and, and a number of atheists have said to me, uh, you know, well, if I die and it turns there's a God, I'm going to say, Tell me this, why was there so much evil in the world? Or, you know, answer this. Uh, What if God has a question of his own? Uh, Tell me this, why did you hear the gospel 10,999 times and not open your heart? You know, you want to fault God for bad things that you perceive happen. Why didn't you praise God for those 999,000 times that, that things went right in, in life. And, Bert, I, I find this very convicting, because here's the thing. You're, you're absolutely right. They weren't really looking for truth, right? But what if God looked us eyeball to eyeball and said, look, you knew that you should forgive that person, and you wouldn't. You knew that you should soften your heart and respond to the overtures of the Holy Spirit, and you hardened your heart. What Here's the probing question. If God asked a convicting question of us today, what would it be, and how would we we respond? Alex, um, Jesus does come, and he does challenge us. He challenges us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He challenges us through the circumstances that we find ourselves in. He challenges us in creation 
like how in the world where's the missing link where where is that transitional fossil that we need and you know uh, all those things that they cannot find an answer they make it up they take a mutation and make a whole whole uh, system on it and so they're not wanting truth they're wanting to be validated in whatever they're thinking and Alex, uh, I think our president, Tim Wildman, says it well concerning the atheist. Here's what they say. There is no God, and we hate him. Exactly. <laughs> you catch, and, you catch and that? And he's evil. He's evil. <laughs> there is yeah. no God, but we hate him. And yeah. uh, that's they, – they're not – let me just – if you're listening – those of you who are listening, you want to know truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is all. The only way to heaven is through him. To know real truth is to know Jesus, and in life, he gives an abundant life. I, I want to, It's not an easy life. If you've been sold out and you said, man, I'll trust Christ because I've heard everything's easier when you trust Christ. Listen, you've been sold a bill of goods. Jesus yeah, yeah. made it plain. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, one right yeah. after another. Jack Taylor, a great preacher in the past, said, this is what I found out the Christian life is. You're in trouble. You're just getting out of trouble, or you're about to go into trouble. One or the other, Alex, and this this is life, isn't it? We just live in a fallen yeah. world. Yeah, I mean, if if you really opt to serve Christ fully, holding nothing back, and let me say it's glorious, Christ is faithful, it really is wonderful. But But I do want to say this, if you go full out for the Lord Jesus— that's when life gets complicated. <laughs> but it's that's an a great adventure, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Well, and, and let me just say this, and you and I know this firsthand, that you have a target on your back, yeah. and Satan is going to fire his darts at you. Now, we are victorious in Christ, and he—you know, the Bible says he goes before us, and he is our rear guard. He's, as they say, he's got our back. Amen. But let me say this— um, if you're a Christian faithfully serving the Lord, you are going to find yourself in the crossfire of spiritual warfare because Satan, he's our enemy. Now, we serve the one who's victorious, but Bert, wouldn't you rather die fighting for Christ and what's right than try to, quote, play it safe and be in a state of disobedience? Preach it, brother. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a cliche. I've read the back of the book, Alex. We win. We, we really do. Uh, Jesus said, this world and its difficulties do not compare to the glory that he has laid up for those that love him. Alex, f- following Christ, best thing I've ever done in my life. You ready to take phone calls? 888-589-8840. Call us. Forget about Facebook. The last 10 days we've been banned twice and is unbanning a word. They put us under the ban. Christians and conservatives don't need you, YouTube. Banned one day, banned again. AFR programs are now live streaming on the AFA streaming app. Now you can get shows like today's issues straight from the source. Put back on the next. Just say unbanned. Unbanned. Just search AFA streaming or visit streaming.afa.net to sign up. Hey, did you hear? MoneyWise is different. It's now Faith and Finance with Rob West. Don't worry, Rob will still help build your faith while giving biblical advice about your finances. It's just a different name. From a diversification perspective, I like uh, properly diversified stock and bond portfolio, especially given where the market is right now. Faith and Finance with Rob West. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Central on AFR or catch the podcast at AFR.net. Hi, this is Miki Addison, inviting you to join me, my husband, Will, and our kids at The Ark. We'll also be joined by Wesley and Walker Wildman and their families as we host AFA at The Ark, October 26th and 27th. We'll have special presentations from Brian Osborne and Ken Ham, the founder of Answers in Genesis and creator of The Ark Encounter. You know, with God, nothing is impossible. That's what his word says. I see God's hand in just so many miraculous ways. AFA has reserved a block of rooms at the Marriott Cincinnati Airport Hotel to be available at a discounted rate, including several meals. What an opportunity for fellowship. 
We'll also have presentations and panel discussions with the Addisons and Wildmans as well as worship together. Space is limited. You can learn more and register at marriagefamilylife.net. That's marriagefamilylife.net. It's AFA at the Ark, and I hope to see you there. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After the widespread reporting of the imminent indictment of former President Donald J. Trump in Manhattan, many were braced to see specifically what crime he was accused of committing. The indictment's release confirms that this is nothing more than a raw exercise of political retribution and abuse of formal process. Legal experts across the entirety of the national landscape have resoundingly concluded that this indictment is vacuous. The most concerning part of this whole debacle is that we have now firmly entered the era of weaponization of government office to destroy political opponents. Pray for America. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Amen. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. I hope you have done that in your life as you're listening today. Well, let me, we're taking phone calls today. We did a Bible study, but Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week is when we have share We do this twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall for three days, and we're going to be sharing all the ministry of AFR and what it is doing, uh, the great victories. We're going to hear testimonies of people who have called in. Their lives have been changed. Their lives have been strengthened. They've been helped. And so you don't want to miss the next three days. You don't want to miss it any time. But Sherathon's always an, a celebration. We ask people to join us and help us to continue doing that. So we're looking forward to that. With that in mind, Alex, uh, but f- today... We're going to continue. We've studied God's Word, and now we take questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. Uh, We're going to go to Texas. And by the way, folks, if you want to call in with a Bible question, we'll do our best to get your Bible question, 888-589-8840. But we start out in one of my favorite places, the Lone Star State. Bobby in Texas, you're on Exploring the Word. Oh, Alex, nice to talk to you and Bird again. I think I got a good question for you. For your truth for your new generation, how would you approach the uh the question that the uh the lady in the Bible that lied I I believe it was in the in the city of Lot, two angels came to her out her house and she lied to the people outside when she was hiding hiding them and and she lied and said, Remember me when when you uh a lot, a lot of her hair or something. Wasn't it like that? How would you justify the being truthful all the time compared to hurting somebody's feelings and, and telling what they would say is a little white lie? Okay. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Bobby. I, I guess you're talking about Rahab. That's what I picked yeah. up on. And she was protecting those two spies. And uh, Alex, I, I read a book, and it was saying, it's like divorce. Divorce is not right, but God, uh, Moses, permitted it because of the hardness of their heart. Uh, God permitted, I didn't say necessarily he wanted, he permitted a lesser evil to avoid a greater evil. And people that say, oh, evil is evil. Now, let me just tell you, evil is evil. Sin is sin. But some are greater and some have greater consequences, don't they? They really do. And the principle um, in scholarly terms is called graded absolutism. Now, let me explain. Absolute truth, uh, we are not to tell a lie. But when the ethic is the saving of human life, and and let me be very clear, um, 
whether it's C.S. Lewis or the late Norm Geisler or Josh McDowell, some of our greatest Christian thinkers, this is not relativism. Relativism says, I can do wrong if I feel like it. But Bert, it, um, like Rahab in Jericho, it, it was like during the time of the Holocaust, when like uh, Corey Ten Boom's family, or those that, that um, Oscar Schindler, very famously portrayed in Schindler's List, lied and broke the law. But why? To save human life. That's exactly and right. And so the the higher ethic is the ethic of life and love. So there was a morally sufficient reason for for it wasn't that God was sanctioning sin, but uh to kill human life uh was not just. So therefore to protect human life was just and that's called graded absolutism. And so that's why it's in the Bible. But Bert, in a perfect world, there'd be no sin and no need to uh, have to go to extenuating circumstances that like that. Let is me it? give you a modern day. If there, yeah. if you go in down the street and you see a fire started in a house, right. is, is it wrong to, to enter that house, knock the door down and enter that house? Normally, that's against the law, you know? Yeah. But get what's happening you have a greater purpose by knocking the door down to save lives and get them out and yes. and so uh not completely but similar to that in rahab saved many lives that day bob in kentucky welcome to exploring the word not completely hello yeah uh, turn your radio down if you don't mind brother we we want to hear your question but turn your radio down and then uh, proceed with with your question, Bob. Yeah, uh, I've got it turned off now. I want to make okay. it quick, Alex. Uh, I'm trying to understand who people are labeling that would be the one that crucified Jesus. Like, I know Pilate said he washed his hands, but he went ahead and done it. And, you know, I know all the bad stuff that happened to the Jews through the Christians and Protestants and all that. But, I mean, in in my view, I think everybody that's ever lived in the world would be credited to crucifying them. What do you think? And I'll I'll hang up and listen. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, um, there there's a legal word. It means complicit. We all were complicit. That's why if you ever see the movie The Passion of the Christ, um, the camera shows Jesus being nailed to the cross, and there's a, a pair of hands with a hammer and a nail. And it's the director, Mel Gibson. And he, uh, you don't see him, but you see it's his hands. And they said, why'd you, why'd you do that? And he said, because it was my hands and my sin that nailed him to the cross. So who killed Jesus? The, the Jews, the Gentiles, the, uh, the authorities, the Romans, the Greeks? It was all of us, wasn't it, Bert? It was. And let me just say, at the foot of the cross were the Romans and the Jews, the Jews were there. You remember they were mocking him. They were spitting upon him. The Roman soldiers was there. They were going to part his garments, but they they gambled for that. So, yes, the answer is all of us complicit in it. But when it comes to the crucifixion, Pilate had that authority. Jesus said, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, Pilate told the Sanhedrin, you have a law. And he said, yes, but we can't put him to death the way you can. And so it was both of them. Great. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Roxanne in Texas, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you, um, Bert and Alex. I, I really appreciate your show. Um, something that occurred to me or someone asked me once that I thought was interesting is that I've been to many different churches. I've been to some evangelical churches and some Methodist churches and Catholic. Why don't we have the Ten Commandments up on the wall in these churches? Because if we have new Christians coming in, wouldn't it be good to have up on the wall the, the laws that God gave us that we should be trying to live by in order to be happy? That's it. That's my question. Okay, Roxanne, thank you. I was trying to think the last time I saw, I've seen a lot of Ten Commandments in Sunday school classes, Alex. I'll put it yes. that way. But four is the, the, the assembly area for the church. I, I haven't seen that much. Once in a while, you'll see the Ten Commandments on the wall. Um, I I think that, Roxanne, you make a great point, because certainly 
that I want to be clear, the Ten Commandments is not the plan of salvation, but it is absolutely God's standard for what will contribute to a civilized society. You know, Bert, it's very tragic, just as you and I are doing the program yeah. today. Of course, everybody in the news is uh, heartbroken, as we all are, about the shooter in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, just a week ago, you know, it seems like once a week there's a bloodbath of a killing and the Sixth Commandment says, Thou shalt not commit murder. And I just think about, you know, what would be wrong since, folks, look, the Ten Commandments is the philosophical foundation of our Constitution, Declaration, and Bill of Rights. So it wouldn't violate any law to tell people about God's Ten Commandments written on every heart. Yeah. And how about we start a movement and we we put those on the wall in the lobbies of our churches. Amen. It used to be in the is in the schools. Listen, yeah. I'm old enough to remember the Ten Commandments being in classrooms. I'm old enough to remember when we would ask the blessing before we would go to lunch. So yeah. uh, I, I, I'm old enough to remember a teacher that made her class, public school, memorize a Bible verse every every week. And she kept track of it. My brother tried to get by with Jesus wept two weeks in a row, and she caught him. So, uh, Alex, uh, listen, there's some things that, I, you know, you hear about the good old days. There's a few of them I don't want to come back, but there's some I do want, wish they would come back. Go ahead. Amen. Exactly. Tim in Ohio, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey, Alex. I really appreciate you guys just ministering your heart. You guys are awesome. Hey, Thanks, I just man. wanted to uh, say – you guys were uh, talking a little bit earlier about the uh, the scripture uh, John sixteen thirty three uh, in this world you will have much trouble or some translations say tribulation uh, but I don't know that maybe maybe you did I didn't hear you finish it he said in this world you have much trouble but I have overcome the world I thought that was just an important point to bring out you know he has overcome the world you know and so we just need to really trust and believe that he's done that for us and uh, just believe that even though there's going to be so much trouble and tribulation, not to worry and be affixed on that. I think so many people are worried about the, the trouble and tribulation that we're going to go through, but he has overcome the world, and we need to trust in that. Amen. Thank you, Tim. You're right. I did that. I did not finish. And, and in between, you will have tribulation, and I've overcome the world, says, be of good cheer. Amen. Uh, Amen. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, it is said that he would never leave us and forsake us. Therefore, do not be afraid or discouraged. Alex, that is the whole truth. Uh, we don't need to operate in the, uh, in the area of fear. We do not need, and Tim's right, do not let discouragement dominate us, regardless of how difficult and evil it gets. Man, well, thank you. you. you know, That's a good word, brother. A good word. You know, in uh, John sixteen thirty three, uh, the King James says, Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And the wording there really means take courage, I've overcome the world. But it's, but it's Jesus essentially saying, the courage that you get from me, walk in the courage you get from me, I have overcome the world. Isn't that something? Hallelujah. Amen. And praise God. We could preach on yeah, that. It but, is. Uh, Thank you, Tim. Thank wonderful. You. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas. Jim yes. in Arkansas, welcome to Exploring the Word. Yes, I've called before, and I I just get so excited. I'm sorry. but I just, <laughs> No, you're wonderful. I talk about oh, I talk about Jesus Christ. Listen to this. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He didn't. He gave his only begotten son. Now, how about Romans 5, 8? While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us so much that he died for us. Amen. Hey, everybody out there in this audience ought to get so excited and run around. <laughs> Got it? Woo! Amen, Amen. Jim. You're right on. He has overcome the world. He's changed your lives. According to what I'm reading on this screen, you've been saved 26 years. Sounds like you're still excited about it, Alex. I heard Jim Stafford, uh, Bill Stafford, a great, great evangelistic preacher, said the problem with a lot of Christians, they got saved and got over it. It doesn't sound like Jim's got over being saved yet, does it? No, it doesn't. God bless you, brother. <laughs> you, your your uh, joy is contagious. Ted in uh, Mississippi, Ted, welcome to Exploring the Word. 
I've got a question. Uh, the first epistle of John, the fifth chapter, and the 16th verse, John is talking about a sin does not lead to death, and we pray for them, and then he says the sin that does lead to death. Now, now my the commentary in my Bible uh, said he's talking about believers. Like, well, we believe, you know, you can, can't lose your salvation, but can God take the life of a believer who is not fruitful? Is that what they're talking about? Well, let me give you an Old Testament, and Alex, you take it away after that. When Moses died, it says his natural force, his body, was not weakened, and his eyes were not dimmed. But he, God right, had right. prepared him, uh, don't you agree, to take him mm -hmm. into the promised land, not only to bring him out, but to take him in. But because of him hitting that rock, uh, it was cut short. So God can take us out earlier than than we should have been. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah. So, so the sin unto death, the First John five sixteen, is an interesting part of the New Testament. Now, um, there are things a believer could do that would shorten their life, you know. But then I think there's also things a believer might do, and we're talking about a saved person that might cause God to prematurely take them out. Bert, I think a case in point would be Ananias and Sapphira. I thought of them too. Yes, would it? And, you know, they lied. They kept back money. They lied to Peter and the church. And um, let me just say this, and we're talking about saved, bound for heaven, born again. Uh, but First John 2.28 warns that even some saved people are going to meet the Lord, uh, uh, you know, in a state of being ashamed. Um, Bert, I know somebody um, who had a relative and pretty famous person who died prematurely. Uh, and I'm thinking of another famous Christian that I think died prematurely. Bert, because God so much cares about the holiness of his church, First Peter talks about be holy. I think it is possible for a born-again believer to be so backslidden and so in sin, and, and I, I'm saying they're saved, but God intervenes and takes them out agree before they do more damage to the state of the church and the right. witness of the gospel. We didn't get to Shelby, but Alex asked, Shelby asked, if children who die before they're accountable and are able to be baptized, are they accepted into heaven? Whether Absolutely. they're baptized or not, right? The, yes, yes, they are. And we could elaborate on this, but yes, um, babies who die, those that are mentally challenged and who can't make the decision for Christ, uh, I believe we have good scriptural precedent that they are under grace and absolutely taken straight to heaven. I agree. Shelby, I'm sorry we couldn't get you on, but we hope you're listening and you heard that. Next three days, it's going to be share -thon. You don't want to miss it. These are exciting days, a lot of energy in the studios at AFR. So we'll be back tomorrow with more of Exploring the Word and it being share -thon. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.